Morning everyone. It is such a privilege as always to be with you today and we are so excited about this series in Titus. We did a bit of an introduction last week and we really dive into the book this week and then over the following few weeks and we just know that this book means so much to us individually and we can get so much out of it individually as well as for us as Harvest, the local church. And so I uh, really want you to fasten your seat belts, dig into the book, be reading it at home, be asking God to speak to you at home because I know there's such significance in it. And so I want to pray that God uh, really speaks to us in these times together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you are a God who is always working. Thank you that you know the end. Thank you that you knew the beginning. Thank you that you're with us now. Thank you that you're taking us on a journey personally and as a church. I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that you would speak to us with clarity. You'd speak to us with challenge, that you would lead us into more, into fresh, into exciting things of you. So Holy Spirit, may you use me in this time. May you speak, not my words, but yours. Your powerful name we pray. Amen. So have you ever gone on a journey and realized that either at the start of it, something wasn't ready for the journey or halfway through that you've left out something vitally important for planning this journey properly? Possibly maybe you've started a project at home, a work project or a building project, and sort of in the middle of it, you've just gone, oh, I left that, I didn't get that at the hardware, or I've just forgotten that I needed to do this in it. Well, a few years ago, we were getting ready to go on holiday to South Africa. And I did what many people do, the early check-in or the online check-in, the sort of night before you leave in the morning, try and get some good seats and those sorts of things. So I'm doing the check-in, I've got our passports out. And as I'm doing the check-in, I realized that instead of four of us in the family, myself, Sarah, Leila, and Erin, there's only three. And I had left off Erin off our entire tickets. And it, partly it was because we were waiting on her passport and she was sort of still a baby. But basically, it's like 9.30 at night and we're leaving on the 7 in the morning uh, SAA flight, when SAA used to fly often, and I've left her off. So starts this mad panic. I get on the phone. Obviously, the Zim SAA office is closed. Managed to get hold of the 24-hour line uh, in Joburg. We managed to sort of, they say, well, you know, um, send us the details. We'll, we'll add her onto your ticket. Everything will be fine. So they do this whole thing. Uh, they say, you know, it's all sorted. And obviously, we then arrive at the airport in the morning. And I'm telling Sarah and the girls, you know, everything's fine. We sort it out. Get there to the counter. And as they look at it, they're like, hmm, there's something wrong with these tickets. And so they check and they say there's someone else who's been added and they're a child, but they've added, been added on an individual seat and they can't travel by themselves. And we were trying to say they're not. This is our daughter here. So that took like another half an hour, just made it onto the plane. And then every single uh, point of a new flight, so arrive in Joburg, same issue. On the return leg, I phoned again and said, listen, this is the issue. Can it all be fine on the way back? Sure enough, on our way back at all the airports, stopped again. And it was such a rigmarole in the process. And it was an example of just not starting the journey correctly on the right foot. And then just recently, uh, we have some amazing plumbers uh, amongst us uh, in the church. But just recently, there was clearly a leak uh, in the bottom of our garden somewhere on the mains pipe. 
And so uh, I was digging around it and I, I got the gardener to help and we were doing some digging. And obviously there was more and more water and there was a big tree root there and a tree stump. So at about the wise thing that everybody does, at about five in the evening, I decided, well, I've just got back from work. Let me just try and really dig down further and just see what the problem is and just get it ready for the next few days when the plumber can come. So sure enough, I'm sawing away at the roots and I'm sort of pulling it. Little did I know that the roots were so intertwined in this old steel pipe. Actually, as I pulled the root, it just broke the entire pipe. And sure enough, 5,000 liter tank went spraying all over the garden and we didn't have any water for the night. And it took a few days for the plumbers to come and fix it. And eventually we got it done. And uh, my poor wife, Sarah, who has to deal with some of these issues of mine, she just sat there going, um, did you not think that possibly at five in the evening with no one else to help, that pulling up roots was not the wisest thing to do in planning, repairing this pipework. First, you're not a plumber, you don't have the tools. And I was like, yes, love, that is 100% correct. But I just didn't even think about it. Thankfully, after three days, we managed to sort out the problem. But it was an example of not having the foundations or everything that we needed correct before we went through this job. Now, if we put this into a spiritual context, it is so important for us as Christ followers to prepare adequately for what God has called us to do, to think through what's required and then step out in faith into the life that he's called us to live. And so today I want to speak on six essential keys for gospel advance, six essential keys that uh, we need to live out what God's called us to effectively, uh, effectively uh, personally and as a church. And so Paul lays this out to Titus right at the start of the passage, and it's almost Paul saying, you know, Titus, before I tell you what to do and where to go and who to speak to and things to put right, I just want to make sure that you have in your heart the right foundations to be able to do what, um, what God has called you to do. He's wanting to make sure that before any action, before getting busy, Titus and us have the right focus and the right priority. And so this introduction at the start of the letter gives the most incredible picture of Paul's heart for Jesus and his kingdom. You just see it running through all of the letters that Paul wrote, but in this one you just see in such a tangible way his ultimate passion, his ultimate desire. And so if you have your Bibles, I would love you to turn to Titus 1 verses 1 to 4. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen as well. But we're going to read this uh, together and then we will dive into it and really unpack these first four verses. So this is what it says. Titus 1 verses 1 to 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, this is Paul, right? He doesn't uh, like short sentences. He just goes for it. I mean, this was the kind of intellectual mind he had. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace, from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. And you might have missed a lot of what Paul is getting across because there was no full stops, but we're going to unpack it today right at the start of this journey in Titus. So first key, first essential key to kingdom advance is living as servants of Christ, living as Jesus's servants. And we see there 
Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul had every right to be a little bit arrogant about who he was. Some of you may not know all of, all of Paul and all of his history, but he had experienced the most astounding miracle meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. Absolutely astounding. And he could be sharing this left, right, and center, just saying, hey guys, look at what happened to me and look at the miracle that Jesus did in my life. Not only that, he was extremely intelligent. It talks about earlier in, in his, his studying as a Jew that he was, he was sort of the top that you could get. He was, I was looking at uh, some of the St. John's results and someone uh, at St. John's uh, College here in Harare got five A stars for their A levels. I mean, that would have been Paul, but above that, he would have been finishing top in everything, an extreme academic. He would have known everything there was to know about Hebrew, about the past, about Greek and, and all things academic. Church planting was exploding as a result of his work throughout the area and throughout different nations. There were churches being planted everywhere and it was literally about him traveling and setting up these churches all over. The letters he was writing were being distributed and copied far and wide. Almost imagine today uh, a blogger or someone with a website and suddenly there's hundreds of thousands of, of likes and follows and if it was Paul had a Facebook page, uh, there would have been plenty following him as well. He was that sort of level of a person. But look at how he starts his letter. Paul, a servant of Christ. He knew that none of his capabilities, none of his abilities were a result of anything that he had done. He understood that God had knit him together in his mother's womb, that everything he had was a gift from the creator. And so there was, there was no reason to boast. He was just a servant of great King Jesus. And on top of that, he knew he was dearly loved. He had been saved. By, by Jesus and by his, his work on the cross. And, but, in, but in that, he knew he was very, very small. He was just a tiny piece in God's great puzzle. And there he talks about an apostle of Jesus Christ, means a sent out one, someone who is sent out almost on mission, like modern day missionaries sent out to bring about the gospel. His heart's desire was to see people come to faith he understood what it meant to be saved from sin. He, he was a terrible persecutor of Christ followers. He, he understood what sin was. And as a result, he gave his life to see people far away be brought near. It's the same call that we have today. But so that's the first step. The first foundation we need to have an impact for Christ is we need to know where we stand before him. So today, we can assess this to, to, together and say, do we see ourselves as servants of Christ? Do we see that everything we have is a gift from him? And are we devoted, sold out, committed disciples for him? Not for any other reason, but for him. First essential key. Second one, we need to celebrate God's sovereignty. Celebrate God's sovereignty. There's this phrase there, which is Paul, a servant of God, apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. And then there's another little phrase a bit later where it says, he promised before the ages began. Now, those two things talk about God choosing and God have the power, having the power to choose what happens in people's lives. The second one about God promising things in the ages before or before anything happened and they're coming to pass. That speaks of someone who is in absolute, complete control of everything of all things. We've been loving as a family doing the indescribable devotion book. Now, it's supposed to be a children's one, but to be honest, I'm learning uh, so much from this book and, and loving how it pictures uh, the, the great God that we serve. And then at the same time, we're going through the purpose-driven life for kids. 
uh, absolutely brilliant one. And it just talks about the fact that we're created by God for a purpose. You read these and you just get the sense of God being in absolute control, but loving us at the same time. Last week, uh, the children's church, they spoke about the passage where it talks about God naming the stars and God knowing the number of hairs on our heads. And uh, for God to know the number of hairs on my head and possibly Mark Robbs and others uh, is an awful lot easier than for others. But the bottom line is, is that he knows all of our heads. In fact, one of uh, Mark's children who will remain nameless uh, said, you know, guys, I already know there's like 382 hairs on my dad's head. It's easy to count because there's so few of them. So uh, Mark, don't get offended uh, if you're listening to this now. Uh, but the point is, is God knows everything about us. Great passage, Isaiah 46, verse 9 to 10. It says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I've made known the, the end from the beginning from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. That's a God who's in absolute control. Ephesians 1 verse 11, he works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything that God wills and chooses happens in the world because he's in control. If it didn't happen, if he had a will, but what he wanted to happen didn't happen, it will mean he is no longer a God who is in control. He is. Bruce Ware, theologian, writes, the dependence relationship between us and God is asymmetrical. We, the world, depend on God for absolutely everything. God depends on the world, not one bit. We need God to sustain us. He doesn't need us to sustain us. That's the difference in the relationship between us and God. Amazing uh, theologian, if you can ever do research or, or get some of his books, A.W. Pink, I would highly recommend. You have to sometimes read what he says twice because he's on that sort of level. But look at what he says. The doctrine of God's sovereignty lies at the foundation of Christian theology. It is the center of gravity in the system of Christian truth. The sun around which all the lesser orbs are grouped it is the golden milestone to which every highway of knowledge leads and from which they all radiate. It is the cord upon which all other doctrines are strung like so many pearls, holding them in place and giving them unity. It is designed as the sheet anchor for our souls amid the storms of life. The doctrine of God's sovereignty is a divine cordial to refresh the spirits. In short, it's absolutely essential that we get that God is in 100% and utter control. He goes on to say, It would be foolish for us to expect that this doctrine will meet with general approval, for the trend of modern theology, if theology it can be called, is ever towards the deification of the creature, us as people being God, rather than the glorification of the Creator. And it's interesting to note that most often, those who fall away from Jesus or who struggle in faith under trial or difficulty will be those people who don't have a strong belief in God's sovereignty. It puts people into a tailspin if we don't truly believe he's in control of everything, that he will work everything, the good and the bad, for our good. The danger of having a strong theology of God being sovereign is the fact that we can tend to have a bit of a lack of faith because it can kind of be, well, you know, God's going to do everything God wants to do, so why should I really pray? But it should actually be the opposite. If we're praying with and praying for things, guided by the God who works out everything according to His will, it means that if we're in His will, we actually can be so full of faith to see things happen. Why? Because He's joining us, we're joining Him, and we're praying in line with things, so things are going to happen. So it should actually build up our faith rather than shrink it down. 
Paul and the early disciples understood this deeply and celebrated it. I want to challenge you, maybe in the week ahead, read Romans. Read the book of Romans. It's sort of considered the pinnacle of theology, of theology books in Scripture. It's all theology. It's all God-breathed. But Romans are a lot more theological-based in terms of what is the belief that we stand for as Christ follows. Read that from Romans 1 all the way to the end. You will get the picture of what it means to serve an amazing, wonderful, loving, sovereign God. That's the second one, understanding God's sovereignty. Third one, grounded in truth. You see over here uh, where Paul says, the faith, uh, the, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. And a little bit later, he talks about the God who never lies. Now the teenagers start uh, this coming week, or start today, a series called Jesus in the Secular World from Right Now Media. Brilliant, uh, led by a, a young man who is passionate about living all out for Jesus. And, and, and so he takes us on this journey of how do we really share Christ with friends and family? Uh, I can't wait. And, and if you're not a teenager, uh, we're part of Right Now Media. If you want the sign-up links, get it from us. But, but I'd encourage you to watch it. watch it. Watch it individually. Watch it as a spouses or as a family. But he, he talks about uh, in this process of, of really getting down to Jesus being truth. See, we live in a world of relativism, which means that my truth is not the same as yours, and that's okay. We all have our individual truths, but there's no one real truth. And it's okay that you believe something different to me, as long as what you believe doesn't offend me. But if it offends me in any way, then it's not true, but I have truth. You can see the confusion that the world gets into. But how do we become the ones who dictate what's right and wrong? How do I, as Craig, be the one who is higher than everyone else and decides what's actually true or not. That's arrogant and, and I'm on the same level playing field as anyone else. And the bottom line is we all know that there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. If we ask the majority of the world, is it okay to just kill someone for the fun of it? They would say, uh, no, it probably isn't. Is it okay to you know, steal from a bank? Majority of people, yes, there'll be some outliers, the majority would say, no, that's wrong. Where do we get those sorts of ideas from? It's because truth, there's absolute truth that lies outside of our emotions and outside of what we may feel. In John 10 verse 10, Jesus says, I am the truth. I'm the truth. And so we need to decide whether we agree with that or not. I love C.S. Lewis and his comment on whether Jesus was who he said he was. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God, i.e. I think he's lying about being God. He might be a good teacher, but not God. C.S. Lewis says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. But you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What a picture of saying Jesus was either the truth or he was a madman or he was someone terrible. But there's no in-between, which people often try and do. So friends, Jesus' truth, we need to have our lives grounded on truth. 
Fourth one. Fourth essential key. We need to look with expectation towards heaven. It says over here, verse 2, uh, it says, God's elect Christ follows their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God promised before the ages began. This world is not our home. One of the things I would really encourage you to do, even if it's just a, a fun thing to do as a family, is get out your passports, get a post-it note or something else like that, put on it, citizen of heaven, stick it on there and leave it. I mean, you could do it as a, as a family thing. You could do it on the back of your passport when you travel. I don't know if that's allowed, but it'll be quite fun. Uh, but, but either way, it will be a visual picture for you to get in your mind that actually we're just passing through earth. We're passing through. We, as Christ followers, are citizens of heaven. Our lives here are a mist. They're a vapor. They're here one day and gone the next. What do we place our hope in? What truly is our focus? Is it earth and, and building our empires here and tagging on a bit of Jesus on the side? Or is it really heaven and going, that's my home. I want to do all that I can here to be effective for my home one day. Are we truly working towards life beyond the grave where God has prepared a place for us and where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more struggle? We have our eyes fixed and full of hope for eternity, not for life on earth. Fifth one, getting towards the end. Preaching the gospel as priority. Fifth key, preaching the gospel as priority. How does God show who he is? How does this truth of the gospel that we're talking about and this hope of heaven, how does it get out to a broken and lost world? Well, it says here, verse three, and at the proper time manifested his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our savior. So how does the good news of Jesus, the gospel, how does this get out to a world that desperately needs it? through the preaching, through the speaking of the gospel. And there's nothing special about me doing this on video or, or any of the, the, the pastors at different sites doing this at Harvest or, or any other church in the world. Sure, there may be some specific giftings or not, but the bottom line is, is that all of us are called to preach the gospel because what is preaching in other, in, in other words? It's sharing, it's telling, it's sitting down and telling someone the truth of who Jesus is. It's you and I meeting with someone, sharing our faith over coffee after we've finished a, a sports game or something, chatting about what we're doing on the weekend and, and sharing our heart about church life and what it means and why we go. But we're all called, as Paul does here, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. And this needs to be a priority in our lives. I'm working on a simple Google sort of sheet and a, and a method for the Great Commission. Jesus is asking us to make disciples of all nations to, for us to easily have something that reminds us and, and plug it in and, and make sure this is part of our everyday lives, which I hope I can get into your hands soon. But the bottom line is that each of us are called to make disciples of all nations. It starts with opening our eyes to those living outside of, of Christ's love and without his, uh, outside of his saving grace. It's family, it's friends, it's work colleagues. It starts with us saying, Jesus, please open my eyes to people who just need to know you. People who are walking in darkness and they don't even know it. And maybe you're watching this today and, and that's you and you're going, but I, I sort of feel like I'm walking in darkness. I don't think I've given my life to Christ. Well, you can do that at the end of the service. You can do it right now. You can, you can say, Jesus, I need you. Change my heart and, and he'll do that right away. It starts with 
opening our eyes and then praying for God to change hearts, building friendships, bringing God's light into conversation, stepping out of faith and seeing Jesus fulfill the purpose that he has for our lives. This is priority. It's of greater priority than anything else that we do. And this priority doesn't mean stopping what we're doing. It doesn't mean stopping our occupations. It doesn't mean stopping our, uh, our family lives. It means weaving in God's purpose of the gospel into everything that we're involved in. So preaching the gospel as priority. And then finally, I spoke on this uh, a little bit last week at, at the site that I'm leading, um, but raising the next generation. Raising the next generation. We need to be focused on the next generation. Uh, Paul says here, to Titus, my true child in the common faith. Now, Titus wasn't some sort of close family member. Uh, he was someone who had helped Paul in the past. He was also dedicated to Jesus, but, but Paul took him under his wing. Paul took him under and he cared for him and he, he helped teach him and lead him. He set an example. They did life together. They ate meals together. He would have invited him around. Uh, they would have connected together. He, he really he took him on and he wanted to see Titus excel further and to, to do more for Christ than he ever could. He walked a journey with him. He was there for him and then he released him into all God, that God was calling him to. You always have this picture of Paul. He was never trying to hold on to power and, and hold on to control of, of churches and of ministries and of everything he had achieved. No, he, he wanted to see these guys raised up. One Timothy sharing about him, others. He, he wanted to see people raised up and elders established. We'll look at that in the week ahead. He wanted to see other people thriving and doing all that God had called them to do. He released and he fathered. There are young ladies in amongst us who, who need mothering. There are young men who need fathering. There are children who need fathering and teens as well. It's not some special course that we go on, but we just go on a journey together. We share what we know. We're there to help and support. One of the things I loved with uh, the teenage work that I did for many years with Sarah is, is seeing these young teenage men and women uh, learn what God had called them to grow in their faith and then be sent out into the world to have a great impact for Jesus and go further and farther than, than I've ever gone and will go. And, and that's the joy of it as being part of God's great mission. And so those six keys, I want us to remember, I want us to, to ask God and say, God, where are we, where do we need to grow most? Where, where do you need to, to help us grow in which area? But I want to close with that great prayer that Paul had, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Those words, God's grace, the free gift of His grace, peace that only He can give. I want to be reveling in those every day. Every day when we get up saying, Lord Jesus, we need your grace. We want your peace and sharing that with others as well. Praying it for ourselves, praying it over our families. I'm so expectant about the year ahead, what God wants to do individually and as a church pray that you are too, but I'd love to pray that God raises our expectations in 2022. So let's do that together now as we close. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time together. Thank you that you are a God who is at work always. Thank you that you're always on time. Thank you that you never hurried. Thank you that you will achieve everything that you've called us to. You will achieve your mission and purpose for us for the world into eternity. Pray for every person listening right now. Holy Spirit, would you nudge us in those essential keys? 
would you show us which ones we maybe haven't really grasped yet? The ones that you are challenging us in right now. Father, would we get our foundations right before we get busy, before we get active, before we push into new and different things. Father, may we have the foundations correct because we, when we have those correct, we withstand trials, we withstand storms, but we're in the best possible stead to have the greatest impact for you. So would you help us in that right now? Your powerful name we pray, amen. Amen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're thrilled about this uh, Titus series as a, a leadership team across the different sites. And I uh, pray that you have a brilliant Sunday. Uh, be expectant, be expectant for what God's calling you to individually, as families, as businesses, uh, as church sites. And I can't wait to see what he does as we, we get stuck into the series and as we dive into the rest of 2022. So have a brilliant day and look forward to chatting to you soon. Thanks so much.